Well, happy third Sunday of Lent. You guys are almost to spring break. So hang in there, right? You'll be resting this time next week. You'll be resting. You'll be on a beach somewhere. Not a care in the world, right? But I do have this challenge for you. Because, because when I was in college, I wouldn't do this at all, right? Live this last week before break really well, right? Don't, don't be like me where I shut down early because break was close and I was like, ah, that's enough. I've done enough, right? No, don't do that. Like, do well what you need to do this week. So, so stay committed to prayer, your studies, and each other. And e- even lean into those things a little more, right? So that when you get to break, you can be assured that you left it all on the field and then you can rest peacefully, right? And then... Over break, make sure you have a plan to keep living your faith in an ordered way, right? Just because you're away from here doesn't mean God goes away, right? When I was, when I was in seminary, they would say, don't take a vacation from your vocation. And I'd be like, whatever, I get, that is so tacky. But they were right, you know. But commit yourselves to prayer, the Holy Mass, and sincere rest in the heart of Jesus, over break. Unfortunately, since we won't have Mass next Sunday, and I'll re-announce that, since you'll all be gone, you guys don't get to see me wear pink at all this liturgical year. Sad day for you. <laughs> now, Laetare Sunday is, is next week, and uh, the lucky few who are going to Denver at 5 a.m., they get to see me wear pink, because that's when we're doing Mass. All right, so today's gospel, cleansing of the temple. All right, we have our Lord, who, who is truly gentle. He's a, he's a gentle man, right? But he's, he's making whips. He's flipping tables, right? And he's running people out of the temple, all right? I, I always say this, like, if, if I'm visiting my parents and I do something that they deem to be unpriestly, they'll be like, that's... Jesus wouldn't do that. And I go, Jesus flipped tables, dad, right? So like, in your face, right? <laughs> but, but this is kind of a shocking story, is it not? Jesus flipping tables, running, like I just, there's like a, there's like a stampede of animals and people running out of the temple. It's pretty epic. Like, what's going through my mind when I'm imagining this is like, there's some Metallica playing in the background, Right, they have some, some harvester of sorrow there, and he's just like, I'm God, I can do this, boom, right? But, but it's shocking to us because today we, we associate anger with sin. That's what we tend to do, right? Oh no, I was angry. Therefore, it must be sinful, right? And I hear that so much in the confessional, like, oh, Father, I confess that I was angry. And and, and in our politically correct culture, like, we try to stuff away this, this anger that is in all of us. Uh, you know, so we talk about friendly dialogue, right? Or, or we're told to calm down, calm down, uh, and to see the other's point of view. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, right? I'm not saying that. These aren't bad things necessarily, right? But Jesus certainly doesn't do any of that today. 
He does none of that, right? He's not like, well, why, why are you doing this in the temple where you should be worshiping? No, no, immediately he just goes ham on these guys, and it's amazing, right? I think we need to look at, though, and understand what anger really is and what Jesus is telling us by his actions that we read about today. Right? So, so let's go a little Thomistic here. Anger itself is an irascible passion of the soul, right? Kind of likened to what, we would, what modern days we would call an emotion. It's an emotion, right? Neither a good or a bad thing necessarily, right? It's a natural phenomenon that occurs in the human heart. And because we're rational beings, we can use that thing poorly or well, right? So, being angry is not a sin. It's not a sin. Now, what we do with it, that's where it becomes sinful or good, right? How we use it. So, anger arises at at least the perception of an injustice. That's like the minimum, right? Because sometimes uh, we can get mad at something because we're perceiving an injustice when it's not actually true, necessarily. So, like, if a real injustice occurs and someone's angry about it, that's righteous anger. That's fine. You can be mad all you want if a real injustice occurs, right? So Thomas Aquinas says this, though, you guys, and I want you to really listen to this. Anger is a passion which tends to strike back at evil. Anger strikes back at evil. And, and, and it tends to inflict punishment or have revenge upon the cause of an evil. Anger is when we swing back at evil things. There's a softness that's pervading our culture today that makes us say, oh, no, that's just how they are. That's just how that evil thing is. And I'm going to let it be that way. And I'm going to push down this natural emotion, this, this injustice that I'm experiencing, and do nothing. That's why the world is the way it is, right? Because we're not getting angry enough at the evil that's being done in the world. So you heard it from your priest. You can get mad at the evil in the world. And you can swing back. Don't, don't like, that one, uh, uh, you know, maybe in self-defense. <laughs> but, but you can be angry. And you can say, no, that is not right. You can do that. And you should do that. So, in this story, however, like Jesus, who's, who's perfectly ordered in his soul, right? He's God. He's the new Adam. He's clearly right in doing what he does, right? He's not sinning. We know that. So he's correct. And, and his anger in cleansing the temple is a justified action, right? He sees true injustice in the chosen people of Israel who are using God's temple as a place of financial gain rather than of worship, right? So in, in a very real way, these people are using God, not loving God. They're using God. Remember, the opposite of love is not hate, it's use, T 
to use. So with that, what is he teaching us in doing what he does? To be honest, I think that this, this whole story is an incredibly deep lesson in love. He's showing us what love is and how it operates, right? For one, he's showing us that God ought to have the first place in our hearts, right? Even in this place of anger, Jesus is acting out of love for his father, right? The temple was a place where the hearts of man come into contact with the God who loves them and who who saves them from slavery, right? We've been reading all about the Israelites and and their release from Egypt, right? And you're going to continue to hear that until Easter. And why does God save the Israelites from slavery? So that he could be, so that like we as human persons could be united to him in love, in this relationship of love right? But it wasn't simply an act of love for the Father. Christ is perpetually living that out as Son. But it's an act of love for those who are selling things in the temple as well. Men, these men, and all men, really, if we think about it, have turned from this relationship with God in order to make personal gain in the world, So if Christ doesn't get their attention in his anger and show them exactly what they're doing, then they're not going to be able to enter into the relationship of love that God so deeply desires with each one of their souls. Just because he's mad, just because he's whipping them and flipping tables, that doesn't mean he doesn't love them. That doesn't mean that he he doesn't desire them. No, he's teaching them, right? In essence, this episode is a microcosm of the whole incarnation of Christ. He he became man to recover what was lost in the beginning, right? Adam and Eve are in union with God before they sin, when they're in the garden. Then they sin and they lose that unity. By their own choice, they cut off that relationship. And God, in his great love for humanity, sends his only begotten son to mend that relationship and bring us back to himself. So so Christ, in his anger, is actually living out his mission of salvation. And he's doing it in this incredibly human way. Because these guys knew exactly what he meant when he did it. They understood him well. And in that... He's sanctifying everything that is human, even human anger. That can be sanctified too, right? He's showing us how to live out every part of our humanity in a holy way. That means we have to be ordered well, ordered like him. Now, I want you to look too at the difference between Christ's just anger, his justified anger, and the anger of the Jews in the temple after he flips tables and and whips them, right? Because they do get angry. They get mad at him, right? 
and they say, what sign can you show us for doing this? What are you doing? Why are you doing this, right? And then actually, he's in Jerusalem. We need to think about this. He's in Jerusalem. And this event is one that the Jews use as a means to kill Christ. This is one of the things that they bring against him. So there's this wrathful anger in the hearts of these people when Christ proclaims what is true. But the key difference here is that of love, which we just talked about, and the other of control. Christ is acting out of love. The money changers, the sellers, the Pharisees, they're acting out of control. So so what is the difference between the anger of Christ and the anger of the Jews? It all boils down to what they actually worshipped in their hearts. Right? Christ, of course, in his humanity, he worships the Father. But these men who buy and sell things in the temple, they worship themselves. And and that self-worship is a result of sin. Right? This is exactly what Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit of the tree, when they were disobedient to God. Right? They're attempting to style themselves as equals with God, trying to control things outside of their power because they believe the lie. So once again, Christ is living out his mission as Savior for these men who have turned so inward that they have fallen far from the truth about who is actually in control of everything. Brothers and sisters, we don't have as much control as we think we do. We're dependent on God. Absolutely dependent. The reality is that you and I, we struggle with this same issue. This issue of control right? We've sinned along with everybody else, and so we stray from being children of God, from being obedient to him, because we, we don't believe that obedience to his commandments is actually going to make us happy. We think that we can make something up and follow that and be happy. Well, tell you what, you go ahead and try that, and you see how happy you become. We want to do it our own way, right? And even though that never, ever works, it never, ever fulfills, we get so angry when something doesn't go our way or according to our own plan. I mean, think about it. I'd say say that most times when we get angry, like even if there's like some anger at God, which happens every now and again, right? It's because we didn't get what we wanted. Because somehow we lost control, right? And then we become like children and we throw a tantrum. That's right. I do it. You do it. We all know it. Why didn't I get this? Why would you allow that in my life, Lord? Why does it have to be this way? So on and so forth, right? But that's not love. That's not love at all. 
That's control, which leads to disordered anger, right? But brothers and sisters, every single reading this Sunday points us back to where our hearts really need to be, where they need to settle, where they need to remain. Creatures of the Creator, sons and daughters of the Father, cooperators with the will of God. That's where we need to be. From Exodus, who makes the commandments that guide humanity to a fulfilled life? Who makes those? God. God does. Right? The psalm, the responsory, who has the words of everlasting life that we hear in the response from Peter? Right? That's what he says to Jesus after Jesus does the bread of life discourse. Where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who has those words? God does. Not you. Not me. Whose foolishness is wiser than our own human wisdom? God's is. God's is. It's all God's. It all belongs to him. And who shows our hearts the path to himself by redirecting our wayward souls from the things of the world to true salvation. God does. We can't save ourselves. So as we continue our Lenten journey, let's listen closely to what Christ is telling us in the scripture. Let's humble ourselves and let go of any control that we may think we have And actually surrender our hearts. Actually lay them down. Our hearts and the entirety of our lives. To the God who can actually fulfill us. Who can actually make us happy. Because brothers and sisters, it's in that surrender that we return to unity with our creator. And that we find our salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ.